0: CHAPTER Eighteen OF LIFT LUCK ON SOUTHERN ROADS BY TICKNER EDWARDS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN AT LITTLE COT INN LITTLE COT, I FOUND, LAY UP A SIDE LANE, CLOSE BY THE GREAT MAIN ROAD TO WINCHESTER. IT MISSED THE DIN AND DUST OF THE HIGHWAY ONLY BY A FEW HUNDRED YARDS, but in itself was quiet enough sitting at lunch in the common room of the inn by the open window i could hear the low roar of the motor traffic afar off a deep sound much like that of a busy london street but lacking its continuity here it was a pulse beating strong yet slow it came and went with a strange regularity there was always the rushing mighty voice of the wind in the trees but this voice deepened to bass then back again to its hissing tenor as each motor swept by for the first time on my ramble i found myself listening to the noise of mechanical traffic almost with pleasure so rhythmic and restful was the sound out again in the frolicking sun and shadow of the street, I looked about me for the post office. I soon found it. It was a queer old house with latticed casements above and bull's-eye panes in the lower windows. Here the only sign of postal business was a letter-box, the windows being filled with the usual heterogeneous wares of a village shop rather undecided as to what lay before me i first strolled by on the opposite side of the way then crossing the street i came back to the little shop and fell to studying the contents of the window the shop seemed outrageously dark within i could see nothing but what lay immediately under my eyes bacon candles corduroy trousers sheep dip linen drapery all the usual happy family of village needs but just as i was meditating another quiet turn down the road still undecided as to procedure the sun came sparkling out behind me and one rich yellow beam struck into the gloom of the shop i all but started back right in its dazzling path stood a figure that of a tall bright happy-looking girl she had but just risen from a little desk at the counter where she had been writing she stood quite still in the sun her brown eyes meeting its rays unflinchingly every little detail of her face was revealed to me with microscopic clearness her ruddy cheeks and lips her firm brows her dark abundance of hair flowing back from the high forehead and she was laughing about something the conviction fell upon me that it was at sight of my own face pressed upon the glass no doubt she had been watching me all the time there was only one thing to be done putting on my most benevolent most fatherly air i opened the door of the shop and went in i bought stamps picture postcards notepaper a pencil i did not want finally asked permission to write a letter at the little desk and all the time i was falling head over ears in love with clara she seemed so merry and winning and frank she had such a fund of talk such an artesian well of laughter at the smallest pleasantry was so genuinely happy to help a stranger in his need for local information that presently i was vowing in my heart that no swashbuckling soldier should ever have her but that she should mate with my young archangel of the forest if I had to stand guard at the door until he came and took her off to church. But what could I really do to further the matter? Very little, it seemed to me, as I sat ostensibly busy on my writing, but actually studying Clara out of the tail of my eye as she went about her work in the shop. I had a forlorn hope at first, that i might lead her on to making a confidante of me as the young groom had done in that event my task would have been easy but obviously this was the last thing in the world likely to happen she was certainly not in love with any one nor had she a care in life to judge from her bright contented face what if I told her all about the conversation in the wood, and urged her to make her young suitor happy, in the only way that happiness could ever come to him? I knew that, being a woman, this would infallibly decide her in the opposite way. I spun my letter out to an unconscionable length. I finished one sheet and began on another. I gnawed the end of the penholder to shreds at last i sorrowfully gave up the whole business kismet said i half aloud wholly in desperation and all the time the very thing that i wanted lay in the palm of my hand clara had gone to the shop door and looked up the street looking for whom i asked myself yet needing no answer. Now she came towards me, bringing a piece of blotting paper. I lifted my hand with the thing in it. It was a paperweight, with which I had been toying all the time, one of a not uncommon pattern, a ball of glass embedded in a plinth of some dark shining wood. What do you use this for? I asked her she gave me a laugh and a look what should i use it for said she it keeps the papers from flying away when the door is opened and ah but it can be used for a very different purpose don't you know that some people can tell fortunes by looking into a glass ball like that again the little dark shop rang with that merry laugh and if i had ever been in doubt of the wisdom of my purpose i was in no sort of doubt then in the midst of her merriment she became suddenly grave can you do it well i have often tried sometimes i have succeeded and sometimes failed "'Would you like me to see if I can tell your fortune?' She looked back into an inner room, apparently to assure herself that nobody was within earshot. "'It is rather stupid, isn't it? "'I shouldn't believe a word. "'Of course, it is all nonsense. "'Do try, will you? "'Just close your hands over the ball for a minute, so. "'Now give it to me.' AND YOU MUST KEEP QUITE QUIET WHILE I LOOK INTO IT. YEARS AGO I HAD SEEN A PROFESSIONAL CRYSTAL GAZER AT WORK, SO I WAS WELL UP IN THE BUSINESS. I LOOKED SOLEMNLY DOWN INTO THE BALL. THERE IS NOTHING YET, SAID I, AFTER A LONG PAUSE. IT IS ALL CLOUDY. AH, NOW THE CLOUDS ARE BEGINNING TO MOVE they seem to be clearing. Yes, I can see something now. I can see some figures. Men, I think, but it is too misty yet. Yes, there are two, two men. One is much higher up than the other. Oh, I can make it out now. One is on horseback, and the other walking by his side there the clouds have come back i can see nothing there was no laugh now the girl leaned her hand upon the desk the desk trembled do look again do please i bent to the pious deception once more renouncing my own philosophy as to means and ends it is still cloudy No. There is nothing at all. Wait, though. The clouds are moving again. There is only one figure now. No, there are two, but the horseman has fallen far behind. He is only a speck in the distance. The man in front is walking fast. I can make him out quite plainly. He carries a little cane and has a funny looking cap on his head. He seems to be dressed in dark clothes. Ah, now I see. It is a dark green uniform. He is a soldier, a burly young man with... Oh, how provoking. The clouds have rolled over the picture again and hidden everything. I stole a look at Clara's face here. The colour on her cheeks had all centred into two bright patches and she was biting her lip, as I could have sworn, with vexation. Go on, do look again. That cannot be all. You can never tell, you know. Sometimes it leaves off just like that, and nothing comes again. But I will try. I let some moments pass while I stared into the depths of the crystal. The little shop was quiet as death, but for the girl's quick breathing when i judged her sufficiently primed i got to work again now the mist is moving moving fast there is a figure yes it is the soldier again and still alone i cannot see the horseman wait it is so misty behind he may be only hidden ah now he has come into full view he is much nearer he is catching up the soldier again now he is abreast of him has passed him is pressing on in front ah the soldier has lost the race and no wonder he is hopelessly in the rear why he has stopped turned and gone back And the horseman is coming on faster than ever. Now I can see his face. What a handsome young fellow. There is something hanging from his saddle-peak. Something bright and red. But the mist is gathering so. I can scarcely make out. Oh, yes, now I see. It is a bunch of red flowers. Roses, I think. But it is all getting so vague. Ah, THE CLOUDS HAVE COME UP. I CAN SEE NO MORE. IT IS FINISHED. I PUT THE CRYSTAL ASIDE AND TURNED AGAIN TO MY LETTER. FOR A FULL TWO MINUTES, CLARA STOOD AT MY ELBOW LIKE A WOMAN CHANGED INTO STONE. THEN SHE BACKED SLOWLY AWAY. (laughs) YOU ARE A WIZARD said she after a while with a little high-strung nervous laugh i'm frightened out of my wits but of course it is all nonsense oh very likely i returned as casually as possible looking up from my writing and i should advise you not to give it a single serious thought the present is far too important in life for us to bother about the future. I hasten to add a postscript to the letter. Remember, not a word to her about our meeting at Titherley, nor of your having ever seen or heard of me in your life. All's fair in love or war. You are to come to cot at your usual time on Sunday afternoon and whatever you do do not forget the roses she may or may not tell you of the visit of the elderly gentleman who discovered such surprising things in the paperweight i think she will keep this a secret for ever or at least for the next week or two but if she does tell you be sure to look sufficiently astonished and now i must get a lift into winchester as quickly as possible to post this letter good-bye my dear boy go in and win and good luck to you and god's blessing on you both End of chapter Eighteen.